There should be a conversation about how anti-Semitism affects mental health. A lot of Jews today are fighting and growing up with this sense that they, they always have to fight it. There's no room for just, I just want to thrive as a Jewish person. I just want to have my space where I, I can do Shabbat in peace. I can go to Israel in peace. I can have Jewish food. I can just go to synagogue, make challah, anything simple, simply the Jewish. one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Welcome back to See One Beautiful Soul. This is Barbara Heller, and it is great to be here. I have been in Elul slash the beginning of the year, first 10 days, chalent or Jewish stew, as it were. And it's been a wonderful time. I started uh, another eight-week immersion course, this time called Making Space for the Magical, which currently is the working title of my book that is soon to be finished editing and then published. I hope you guys will buy a copy and learn a little bit more about me. The course that I'm doing is going great. I love my students. We are off to a great start. And what's really exciting is that people are writing screenplays and TED Talks and short films and songs and poetry, and uh, they're really enjoying themselves. And I'm watching them really explore self-expression in a creative way and, and become healed through that. Uh, so if you're interested in that, uh, join my mailing list so that you can subscribe and, and get informed when I'm doing the next one. If you want to do a private coaching, again, go to barbpeller.com, look under courses, and you'll see a link to my Calendly if there's space in there. I am also available to speak. Feel free to contact me through my contact page on barbpeller.com. Happy to speak for a school or organization that wants to heal through writing, prayer, meditation, and self-expression. And without further ado, here's our next episode with Tyler Samuels. Tyler Samuels, what a joy and an honor. You know, sometimes I love the internet. I met you by observing a reel you did or some sort of Instagram post. And I was like, oh, wow, we (laughs) are from the same tree. So I was like, would you want to be on my podcast? It just won an award. And you were like, yes, ma'am. And I was like, yes. And then ever since then... Everything you post, I'm like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> and it's just, it's so great to be able to meet people who stand for good stuff. So I just want to say, welcome. I wore green and yellow and black for you because I saw your whole piece on the Talit that's Jamaican. How are you? Talk to me. <laughs> I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. You are a beautiful soul. So let's let's start at the beginning, a very good place to start. Were you born in Jamaica or is your family from there? It sounds like, are, and also, aren't you in Canada? Like, how did you get from birth to now? Just very briefly. You're not that old, so it won't take that long. <laughs> exactly. My parents immigrated to Canada. I was born in Canada. They've been here probably 30 years now. But um, yeah, I grew up here, born here. People claim I have a Jamaican accent. I don't hear it, but a lot of people do. Um, I hear Indian in there because there's yeah. a little bit of, you know, I'm going to have some non later. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Canada is very diverse, so you pick up everything here. It's basically my very short life story. And but, both of your yeah. parents are Jewish? So I guess for the nosy people who will probably ask... Both my parents are, um, so that, that's that, that puts to bed their curiosity. Um, but yeah, the Jamaican Jewish community—it's small now. I shouldn't really say small, but it's small in comparison to the United States, or Canada, or France. But it's still alive. It's it's a four hundred year old plus community that has been able to withstand persecution, hurricanes, all sorts of natural disasters, violence on the island, political problems, economic problems, everything that 
God has put in front of these people, they've been able to survive it on that island. So that, I guess that's where um, a lot of my resolve comes from. And Jamaican people were very tough people, if I could use that word. We're very blunt and we're very, um, we're fun, but we're, we're very resolute. And 400 years ago, where did those Jews come from that landed? Because I don't think, you know, according to Torah, Adam and Eve would have looked really cool if they were born in Jamaica. <laughs> they would have eaten well, too. But how did we get from Israel to Jamaica? Like, what was that whole trip? The Jamaican Jewish community comes from refugees from the Inquisition, especially from Portugal, and some Spanish Jews that uh, fled. What happened was Christopher Columbus, and, you know, I'm not a fan of this man, but when he took control of the island for some odd reason he did not allow the inquisition into jamaica no one knows why but he just did not allow it and so a lot of crypto jews settled in jamaica obviously practiced their faith in private it was not an open thing there were no big synagogue celebrations everything was hush hush um and ultimately when he died the island technically was his family personal property and so his sons inherited it but when one of i think one of his grandsons died a lot of the spanish non-jewish spanish did not like the columbus family and so they sent petitions to the spanish roman catholic church in the caribbean saying that there's this influx of portuguese which was basically slang for Jews, who are influencing and corrupting Jamaica, and they need to bring in the Inquisition. Those Portuguese Jews basically contacted relatives in the Netherlands to see if the Dutch would be interested in taking the island. The Dutch really were like, eh, we don't really want that. They contacted uh, the English, and so the English invaded. And Jews helped aid the English and where the Spanish were located, which part of the island to attack. And basically, it was, it was a joint effort of Jews and English people uh, invading, and Jews took hold of their destiny in Jamaica. Yeah, that's how really the community got started. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I love that this podcast is so much about history um, and yeah. her story and our story. <laughs> Um, but I love that that always comes up and I learned so much about democracy. I heard from my sister who heard Rabbi Leader speak, uh, a couple nights ago in LA, he said, wherever there's Judaism, there's democracy. And I love that. And this is not a particularly just Jewish podcast. It's called See One Beautiful Souls for Everybody. But one thing that comes up in every single episode is God. It just happens. I can't help it. Um, you know, we're all swimming in God. That's David Sachs's line. And I love him so much. He's one of my favorite teachers. I think that where there is God, there's going to be Judeo-Christian Islamic conversation because for the past 3,500 years, since we've had the Torah, um, and even obviously before that, when we had Avraham Avinu and, and Sarah and Rachel and Leah, you know, all these people for almost 5,000 years, I've been talking about this one godliness, right? And so- Mm. I don't care whatever you want to call it. God, the universe, the Schwartz, the force, the spirit, divine, <laughs> whatever you feel comfortable calling it, where, where there is law protecting that, you are going to find democracy. You're going to find protect the innocent, civil rights and things like that. And so I love hearing that. And so that makes a lot of sense hearing where your voice comes from. Um, I honestly could cry when I think about how vulnerable you are. And it's funny because you your your name on Instagram is blunt black Jew. Isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. And yet when I think of blunt, first of all, I think of, uh, (laughs) cigarettes, you know, and, and things like that, uh, because I I was an RA in college and I used to have to like get, I was in charge of telling in this athletic dorm. I was telling, I had to tell the very gargantuan, beautiful, uh, (laughs) specimens of the, the, athletes at the University of Florida. Um, you can't smoke your blunts in here. That's what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> it was mostly black and milds and all the other stuff that people do in college. But other than blunt in that way, 
and James Blunt, um, I think of a harsh tone. And you mentioned it before. You said Jamaicans are very blunt. I don't look at Jamaicans like that at all. I think New Yorkers are blunt. I think, you know, Russians are blunt, like when they talk, you know, but Jamaicans to me are just direct. Like maybe I've hung out with the wrong Islanders, but the people I know who come from Jamaica and Trinidad and those, they're just very real. And it's like a refreshing realness that's very warm. So I don't know if blunt, I mean, you can call yourself whatever you want. If you're getting a lot of people that way, whoever needs to hear you is going to hear you. But I don't see you as blunt. I just see you as MS, like truthful. So I think a lot of people, I got this question actually. Someone commented on a post the other day and asked, you're not, you're, you're very eloquent. You're not blunt. Why do you call yourself blunt? That's true. And I say to a lot of people that, you know, blunt does not always mean harshness. Blunt can be a very, an unspoken truth where you're proud to speak it. Um, you give it as it is. And I, I think that it gets a bad rap. Um, and I know that a lot of people use bluntness to just be mean and harsh and what have you. But for me, bluntness is telling people proudly an inconvenient truth. And, you know, a lot of people like to, there's, I forgot, there's, there's this image that I always see that people share uh, of two lines to two doors. Uh, a line for the inconvenient truth and a line to happy false lies. Obviously, the line where false lies or whatever, that has the longer line. And not a lot of people want to go to the inconvenient truth line. And I feel that, for me, bluntness is that inconvenient truth. Um, and a lot of people don't want to listen to it. A lot of people don't want to hear it. But I think that to make ourselves better, bluntness with kindness, uh, that's what I call it. It's really needed. Bluntness with kindness. Okay. You say blunt, I say truth. <laughs> so I always ask all of my guests, uh, pretty close to the beginning, what is one thing you had to forgive in your life that was very challenging? Because, you know, we talk about the three F's on this podcast, forgiveness, failure, and freedom. So what's one thing that you personally, Tyler, had to forgive in your life that was really challenging for you? Learning to forgive people um, from high school and university that made my life a living hell. And when I say living hell, uh, anti-Semitism. Um, and, you know, like in high school, I was one of, what, four, three Jews that went there. And it wasn't easy. Like people would throw around, you kill Jesus, you throw pennies and all that stuff. Uh, typical, stereotypical anti-Semitism in high school. And, you know, that was really challenging. That was really hard uh, because a lot of these people I considered friends. And for them to just do that, it impacted me. It made me realize that, that you know, not everyone has your best interests at heart. A lot of people see you only by your identity and not your or I should quote MLK, the content of your character. Um, and that was one of the hardest things to go through. And then when I went to university, um, it was kind of the same thing uh, because I went to a, a campus that had a very small Jewish community there, and we were exhausted. I know I was exhausted within like two years of going there. Uh, because the anti-Semitism was really bad there. And looking back at it now, um, I hate the cliche that trauma makes you stronger. I, I hate that. I, I don't believe in it, but I have to forgive those people. And I don't really forgive a lot of the time, but I realized it was consuming me. It was consuming my soul. It was cons uh, consuming my heart. It was consuming my energy, my time. Why do I have time for people that I no longer speak to. It took a very long time for me to forgive, but I did. I did, and I feel that I'm better for that now. You seem very young. <laughs> I am 27. 
so young. Okay, I could be your mom. That's really scary. I, I did not know. I, yeah, I look younger uh, than I am. But, um, you know, keeping meets vote keeps you young. Uh, and I uh, agree with Kelly Clarkson that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But it doesn't always feel so great going through it or growing through it, as I like to say. So can you give us an example? Like people literally just in the middle of school would, would say you killed Jesus. And did you go to a, a religious Christian, like, school like Notre Dame where it's like it was rooted in Christianity or did you was this like in the liberal more liberal situation it was a secular public school University of Toronto which is one of Canada's biggest universities no religious aspect to it it could be you killed Christ like I remember someone yelling screaming you Jew at me when we're lining up to get coffee or whatever someone was saying, oh, you have a keeper. A Things keeper like that. Yamaka, by the way. Why do you have a keeper? Jews aren't supposed to be here. You're not allowed to be in my presence. The biggest issue of Israel and uh, Palestine, that really inflamed a lot of tensions and hatred a lot of the times, especially when there was any conflict that was happening. A lot of people thought, oh, maybe, maybe I should go after diaspora Jews that had, don't live in Israel, don't vote in Israel stereotypical anti-Semitism and tropes to anti-Semitism from people who claim that they advocate the Palestinians when they when they really didn't. And it, it was an experience that I probably would not want to go through again. I guess that's why I have so much sympathy for other Jewish students at universities all over North America right now because it's an issue that has become so problematic, so horrible, and no one wants to do anything about it. I don't want it to be a part of me all the time. Like, I don't want to talk about it all the time. Right? And it, it's, I have a whole rant about it, but I won't get into it. But it's, it's just no, such a... No, this is the place. This is where you get into it. <laughs> this is where you're allowed to get into it. Go for it. I guess on social media, I like to call it that we all have our Jewish departments. Department of talking about how Judaism impacts my life, of combating anti-Semitism. There's a department of combating uh, anti-Israel activism. There's a department celebrating Israel. There's a department, which I'm a part of, talking about Jewish history. My department, for some reason, is, I would argue, is the smallest one out of all those departments. And the largest departments would be combating anti-Semitism and combating anti-Israel activism. And... I have nothing against that. I have nothing against those people who do it. A lot of them are my friends online. I have no issue. But I will say this. There needs to come at a time where we recognize that anti-Semitism is not part of Judaism. It has nothing to do with us. It is not a Jewish problem. It is a non-Jewish problem. And non-Jews need to deal with that. We, as Jews, do not need to educate ourselves 24-7. We don't need to preach to the choir about anti-Semitism. That is not our issue. Our issue should be celebrating our Jewish identity every single day because, as I posted this morning, my new post, there are ancestors that we have that were killed, slaughtered, massacred for just simply trying to observe their Jewishness. Whether being a religious Jew, a secular Jew who still believed in his, his or her Judaism or their, their Judaism. And to me, it does a disservice when, as Jews, we constantly talk about anti-Semitism. We constantly need to respond to anti-Semites online or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. Because, it, fr frankly, a lot of the people who hate Jews, who don't like Israel. Like, no one knows them outside of the social media space. If I say, oh, do you know this person to a random Jew on the street? They're going to say, who is that and why do I care? And I see this, especially on Twitter, uh, whenever there's an anti-Zionist Jew or an anti-Semite who claims that they support the Palestinians, there are Jews on Twitter who will get into this frenzy for weeks, posts about them, tweets about them, tweet threads, Instagram posts, TikTok videos, you name it, 
there's a there's something being created about that particular person. And when I look at it, I'm like, you are giving this person more power and influence and attention than they absolutely need. Why are you doing this? It's ridiculous. You are giving them an audience because what people don't realize is as you attack these people who have, oh God, they have 2,000 followers, people who support their ideology will jump in. Then more people will jump in. And more and more until there's this huge audience where everyone's talking about it and that person who is very problematic gains all this attention and then is motivated to keep on doing it. And I think that's the downfall of the Jewish people is when we continuously do this. I want to support organizations that bring Palestinians and Israelis to talk, to get to know each other, because you can't have peace if there's no uh, connection between people. There's no common ground. There's no civil society. It doesn't have to be leaders, but civil society that can see, oh, they're not different. They're not different. We have some similarities. So let's talk about it. And I said, like, I'm not in high school anymore. These arguments are childish and immature. And then there are people in the, in the tweet and the responses comment, well, I think we should uh, combat and uh, argue these points. And it's like, no, that, that defeats the whole purpose. No one cares if you dismantle someone's argument about Zionism or Israel, anti-Semitism. They're still going to believe it, which a lot of people don't understand. They're not going to change their mind. It's, it's a statistic that we, we learned in advocacy. The people who already hate you, no matter what you do, will not change their opinion. But the 85% or the 90% of people who either don't know anything, have no opinion, those are the people who are more willing to engage and learn and be open to dialogue, open dialogue. Two, two things were striking me as you spoke. The first one is the fact that you said you forgave all those people who hurt you when you were on campus. When I look at the first parak of the Torah and all the commentary and the Midrashim that go along with it, when, when Hashem says all that was created is Tov and Tov Ma'od, I take that at face value that mm. all of it is good or very good. And it's just the human mind that wants to see black, white, good, evil, terrorist, pro-Israel. There's so many degradations. And even when we, as people who I would consider myself very much pro-Israel, very much pro-Jewish, if I speak Lashon Hara, evil chatter about someone in my family for a second, or I speak and roll my eyes about one thing I don't like about Israel, according to Halacha, Jewish law, I'm actually going against the Jewish people in that moment for one second. And if you want to call me evil by doing that, because I'm human and I have complaints once in a while, you know, that's very black and white thinking. And this whole podcast was created to try to find the beauty and the love and the goodness in every single thing that was created on, on this earth, even the horrific, disgusting tragedy, trying to, to find that somewhere there must be something we can learn from it and grow from it. I'm not calling it good. I'm just saying, according to God and Dora and the first parak of the Kabbalistic translation, there's only good and very good. And it's, it's our difficulties as human beings to and it's our, it's our job probably as human beings to, to try to figure that out in our lifetimes as much as we can, right? And so I just really admire that you could make peace with people who were blatantly and blunt in a negative way towards you, very, very cruel with, with almost with cruel intentions. Even the biggest anti-Semites were born with, let's say, some good. It's who they hang out with, what they read, what they eat what they spend their time marinating in that causes the evil and the hatred and the anti-Semitism to get like a disease and fester and then create more and more and more of it. It's so gross and awful. And I would love to combat it. It's so obvious that to me as a spiritual person, that what's going on today is a war on God. And if we go back to the very first conversation we had today, if Judaism really is representing God, right? Godliness and protecting godliness 
we hope, we're supposed to stand up when things are not right and call it out and say, that is bad. And I do that. Look at my Instagram story. I'm constantly quoting Hillel Neuer and sometimes he quotes you, which is really cool because then I get to quote both of you in one story. Ami Horowitz, like the people who are standing up in the face of you're not woke enough and whatever that means and, and calling it out, like they are courageously fighting, you included. And yet that constant teetering of this is wrong, look at it, but then also look at all that's right in the world and let's celebrate that and bring more of that in. And so I actually, my only intention, I didn't get to tell you was to bring in that statement today. And you already got there for me. I like that. I'm conflicted about it. I always get into this conflicted zone between, you know, fighting anti-Semitism, fighting hatred. And then it's like, I don't really want this to consume my life. It's a very hard thing because it's, as I tell people, no one else will do this for us. And I, I think we see this throughout history. We see this now, especially at university campuses in New York, which is very concerning. No one is willing to fight for Jews. And it's a, it's a good and a bad thing. It's a good thing because I see a lot of younger Jews now being very proud and saying, I'm not going to tolerate this behavior anymore. When I was in university 2012, I couldn't really say the the same thing that I can now. I mean, that's a very good thing. But I also recognize that a lot of Jews today are fighting and growing up with this sense that they, they always have to fight it. There's no room for just, I just want to thrive as a Jewish person. I just want to have my space where I I can do Shabbat in peace. I can go to Israel in peace. I can have Jewish food. I can just go to synagogue, make challah, anything simple, simply the Jewish. I feel that it's put on the back burner because of other people's hatred. I feel so conflicted. I agree that, yeah, there's a lot of us who are fighting this. But it's, it takes a toll on you. It takes a toll on your Jewishness because you don't know. You don't know how to express your Jewish identity because it's either you're aggressive and you're fighting it or you're, or you celebrate it. And still people hate you. Still you get hate comments. Just, just making Holly, you can get hate comments today. Um, if you videotape it and post it, it's hard and it's, it's exhausting. And I think that. There should be, besides combating anti-Semitism, there should be really an emphasis on Jewish mental health. And there wow. should really be, there should be a conversation about how anti-Semitism affects mental health and, you know, telling young Jews, you know, don't fight this all the time. Take a break. Like no one is expecting you to do this 24 seven. Most, like you're not getting paid to do this. So, Take time away. Do what you want to do as a Jew. Don't do what you need, you feel you need to do because of non-Jews hating you. Um, it's a complicated situation that we're in today. Uh, I don't know. It's beautiful. Uh, my, my rabbi, Rabbi David Aaron, who I love a lot. I don't know if you've ever followed him, but he's been on the podcast. He actually dared me to start it. So he's one of the reasons why I even started it. Um, he, he always says, God is love. And it sounds so 70s. Mm. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> drugs or something, but that's yeah. not what he mean, He means in that way. He means actually being fully present. Like if you're really present to the fact that God is just love and it's the love that we're all afraid to feel, because if we let down our guard, we might actually relax and be fully present and then what if that gets taken away from me so instead people sit in this place of yeah no 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 don't i said that's not what i meant and and it's what you said before you're giving all this power to that which doesn't it doesn't have to even affect you but you get more of what you bring in and so you're being called to 
defend Israel sometimes and Judaism and also being a black man. Like I'd love to get into that for a second. <laughs> thing. I mean, so many things about you say are so wise and you sound really like 2,600 years old, not <laughs> years old. but you were talking about how somebody who messaged you said something and it might've been a convert, um, but, or someone who has Jewish ancestry, but then had to prove that they were Jewish, but they happened to be of, I, I don't want to say African-American because they might not have been American. So someone who has black skin or brown skin messaged you and said, how do you combat um, the people in, your, in our own community who are Jewish? And I want people to really lean in and listen to this because mm. it's something that doesn't get talked about a lot at all. And I've had a lot of African-American people on who are not Jewish defending Judaism, but I haven't had anyone yet. So welcome, who happens to be a Black Jew that isn't just defending Judaism in Israel, but is also defending sometimes, I would imagine, yourself and your own Judaism to our own community. And people are probably always asking, hmm, I saw a video on this before, like, are you really Jewish or did you convert? Because everyone feels they have a right to, I mean, I asked you at the beginning, for that reason, because I know people are going to ask, right? It's mm-hmm. if I had someone who looked Asian or sometimes people ask me, I was on a date recently and a guy was like, did you convert? And I'm like, Ooh, and I thought it was a compliment. I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> you think I look what? Like, non-Jewish? Oh my God. I'm so excited. You know, he's like, well, you have blonde hair and blue eyes. And I was like, well, I'll throw a bottle, but originally I had blonde hair. Um, and I do have blue eyes and I do look, you know, very whatever European, but my family comes from Russia, you know? Um, but I'm like, got the nose, you know, whatever big personality. Um, and I thought he had good Judar, but whatever. Um, but you know, people feel they have a right to ask when you don't look the same. Right. So, and you said back, and I'll and I'll let you continue this thought, but I just want to highlight what I heard. And what I heard was, why are you suffering? Because the person was like, how do you not suffer being a Black Jew in a Jewish community where people are going to marginalize you? And you said, feel free to fill in the blank. Go ahead. <laughs> I, <laughs> Sorry, there was a very big lead up. Barb, yeah. come on! Who's interviewing? <laughs> I don't I, I know which video you're talking about, actually. Um, I said, why are you suffering? Why are you allowing yourself to allow someone to question your Jewish identity? So why are you suffering? Why are you allowing that suffering to permeate your soul? Um, and this, is, this will probably be one of the most controversial things in this <laughs> discussion today, but For me, I have dealt with racism in the Jewish community. There are a lot of Jews that don't like that. They they say, oh, it doesn't exist, and a Jew is a Jew. No, I really hate that term, because if that was true, you wouldn't need to say it. Um, And plus, just because the Torah and the Midrash and the Talmud talks about there are multiple types of people at Mount Sinai when uh, God revealed the Torah and everything does not mean that Jews today, some Jews today, follow that spiritual idea. There is racism. I have dealt with racism in the Jewish community several times throughout my life. And like back in the day, like I I was angry. I I would tell people off. If people asked me, where do you come from? I'd be like, where do you come from? If you want to ask my identity, where, what's your identity? No, oh, is your mother Jewish? Is your mother Jewish? Good for you. Like, where are your grandparents from? Where are your, where are your grandparents from? Um, and now I'm, I just ignore the question completely. Um, because there's, there's a song uh, in Jamaica. It's called... Drink water and mind your business. And I remember someone <laughs> someone sent me a question on Instagram. They DM'd They hydrated. Would you? I mean, <laughs> if 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 John L just drank some water, he'd be fine. Yeah. 
And um, this person asked, they asked me, oh, how are you Jewish? And I recorded the song and I sent it to, to them in response. They, did, they, they read it. They didn't respond back. Um, but that's my mentality. I, I no longer accept this nonsense that there is this Jewish look because for me, there is no Jewish look. Some people will say there are Jewish characteristics and noses and all that stuff. For me, for me, there's no Jewish look at all. Every Jew looks different. Every Jew looks different. And it's far, all Jews accept this fact. All Jews recognize it. Um, and so for me, I won't, I won't tolerate this, this foolishness. I like, we have, a multitude of colors as Jews. And the only thing that we should talk about is how do we bring in more Jewish unity? How do we help each other? How do we support each other? Why are you messaging me, asking me, oh, how are you Jewish? None of your business. Mind your business and take care of yourself or whatever. And it's always frustrated me and, and any other... Uh, Jew of color, and that's another term that some Jews hate. Um, but what I say to them when they say, oh, don't call yourself a Jew of color. No Jewish leader in Toronto looks like me. Most Jewish organizations, their employees do not look like me. Hillel, Ontario, I think has two or three people in the entire organization that looks like me. So you know what? Don't lecture me about don't use Jew of color until there are more Jews who look like me in positions of authority in the Jewish community. Then I'll stop saying I'm a Jew of color and I'm a Jew. And recent, <laughs> I could go on and on, uh, but recently a person decided to get into this very heated argument with me over Instagram DMs about this entire Jew of color and race and everything. And, you know, I, I don't believe Jews are white. I am a Jew. I'm not white. I don't believe in that terminology. I think it's a very American terminology to classify everyone as a white or black or this race or that race. That's just an American thing. Outside of America, that's not how it, things work. But I will say that this person was going on and saying that, oh, you're dividing the Jewish people, you're dividing yourself by using Jew of color, you're dividing, you're causing all this chaos. And I, I said to her, shouldn't you be saying this to the Jews who are racist and causing the division between the Jewish people? Why are you saying this to me simply because I recognize this reality and I call it out? Call out the people who continue to do this, who continue to press racial microaggressions against Jews that don't look like them, make Jews that don't look like them feel uncomfortable in synagogues, uh, any Jewish space really, and don't come to me with this nonsense. Self-reflect. Don't push your reflections on me. And ultimately, I had to block her because they'll just, I just was tired of the conversation. And she did not want to open her ears and listen. And I'm a very big proponent, a proponent of active listening. I enjoy it. I love to listen, but actively. Show that you care. Show that you understand, that you comprehend things. Like, I remember I was supposed to do go to... Uh, yeshiva in Jerusalem for the summer and I was asked to show my parents and my grandparents ketubah and when I asked another friend who was part of the program he said he didn't have to show that he did not look like me we can't say a Jew is a Jew is a Jew when things like that happen over the years I've I've just learned not to care, and I, I just live my Jewish life, and I just, I carry on. Oh. Tears in my eyes, and I like to talk uh. when I'm beklempt, because 
I have a secret mission to get people to speak from their heart all the time. And I think that when we have tears, that's when we should speak instead of shutting down. And I just felt what that must feel like for a second. I felt, and I want you to know that I felt it, that I could see it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. That's because you have really deep, soulful eyes that care. And you're looking for it. You're looking for it to connect into my heart. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's why we're a match. And you were like, yes, person, I don't know. I'll be on your podcast. (laughs) I feel it. Right. Um, But that takes a very special level. I remember during um, the 2020 riots that were happening in LA, I was in LA and I reached out to this girl who was very angry um, on Instagram. She has a right to be angry, black woman from LA. And I said, I'd love to talk to you. Maybe you could be on my podcast. I'm just starting it in a few months, but I'm starting to record. And I just wrote this song and I'm, I'm really excited about it. And it's about you know, that we're all souls and we're not just our outside skin. And she wrote me back a list of books to read, including Mm. like the white fragility book that is going all over the world. And I was so hurt because I really was trying to reach out for my heart. I could feel her anger. And I, my my family's always like, you're barking up the wrong tree. Leave those people alone. Get killed. Like, and I'm like, no, no, no. If they see my soul, they see that I really want to make an inroad. No. And 99% of the time it works because people really deep down do want to feel that joy and that connection. But I think when I had my friend Joshua Silverstein on the podcast, he was explaining, he's also a black Jew. And he was trying to explain to me, you don't understand. He's like, you guys, and he was talking to me as like a person with white skin who happens to be Jewish. Like you guys have had so many years to discuss what it's like to be Jewish in America, even though there is antisemitism. He's like, for us who are black, because he was talking from his black side, which wasn't Jewish, his dad's Jewish, his mom's not, but you know, he's definitely identifies as a black Jew and practices and He's a Jewish educator. He's wonderful. He's like, we never got a chance to talk about it. He's right. Like there wasn't a time and a space to really have those conversations. And now we're starting to have them. And it's so, you know, because you are also Jewish that there's something not so spiritual about the conversation when it goes to, and that's why it's okay for the DAs to not, you know, allow Mm. people into jail who commit these horrific crimes. And, you know, we, we know there's like a lot of sides to what's going on right now. There's a lot of question marks about how we carry on this conversation and does it happen in anger? But when you just said that and you said, they asked me for my, you know, basically my birth certificate, like my parents Katuba, like I really felt how terrible that must feel to have to prove, no, 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 I really am. I think saying you're a, a Jew of color is so beautiful because to me, it's like saying, and I'm a veteran, like mm-hmm. I'm a Kohen, like I'm a boss Kohen. I'm so proud to say I'm a Kohen. There's people that are like, well, you're a boss. It doesn't really matter. It's like, yes, I am. It's a does. Yeah. My great, 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 great grandfather was Moshe Rabbeinu. Like, I'm connected to that line of people and within our people. And it's like saying, like, you're a veteran, like, look at my skin. I have, you have, you have to deal with so many different arguments and hatred that I don't have to deal with, but you walking around. I mean, no, it's like, you can't win. You've got Mm. people. And I, I feel that way a little bit of the time because there's a part of me that's a big peace, Nick. Because I have this podcast where I'm getting criticized by some people like, I can't believe you had that person on. They're they're so liberal. I can't believe you had that person on. They're so right wing. It's like, no, that's the point. I'm trying to get everybody to love each other and see that we're all literally from the same unit. We're not, we're so much more similar. And yet you're probably getting it from black people like, no, come with us. You don't need them. And then you've got, you know, the white Jewish people saying like, are you part of us? Because I'd like you to be like, can you prove it? So, and you just can't win. 
black people will say, you're a fake Jew. What are you doing? Jewish people will say, you're a fake Jew. Stop pretending to be part of our community. Or I'll have, like you said, Jew, black people will say, oh, you don't need them. You're black. You should be identifying as black first. And then I'll have uh, Jewish people say basically the same exact thing, but exchange black for Jew. Like there was a rabbi who I was working with who legitimately said one day to me that you cannot call yourself a black Jew. You need to choose whether to be a Jew or a black person. So I responded, so what, I'm supposed to scrub off the black skin off my face? How is that supposed to work? I've had Jews say that you talk too much about racism, but when I respond and say, well, you talk too much about anti-Semitism, they get offended. And it's like, why do you... So it's a problem for me to talk about racism, but it's not a problem for you to talk about anti-Semitism. And they don't get that disconnect. For that woman who you reached out, I would say, like your ever friend said, we didn't have this experience to talk about, even non-African Americans. So Black Canadians or... Uh, black British people, even black French people, black German people, everywhere there's, where there's a black diaspora, we haven't had these conversations when it comes to race or slavery or persecution or violence against um, the black body. And for many of us, we're angry. We're still angry. For me, I, I'm moderately angry because I have a community where I can discuss race where i can discuss these issues in school we never got to experience that we we were never taught there was slavery in canada which there was we we never were taught that there was a canadian jim crow which there was we never taught that there was a canadian chapter of the kkk up here i can get why she's angry but i also think that um for me at least I want to talk about this. I think it needs to be talked about it because when we don't talk about it, this behavior can, will continue to spread and grow. It needs to be combated with. There was a Shabbaton many years ago in university. And Showed your Canadianness at the time because <laughs> you said Shabbaton. Now, in New York, we would say there was a Shabbaton. Well, was it? it was a Shabbat tone, which is hilarious because it's the only Canadian thing you've said. I'm really into voices. A Shabbat tone, for those who are listening, is it means over Shabbat, so Friday evening, sundown to Saturday sundown, Jews get together and have like sort of retreat or some sort of, they'll go to a hotel or like camp camping grounds and they have like this overnight sort of thing or in a mm-hmm. jewish community that people will sleep over at people's houses just so people know what a yeah. shabbaton is <laughs> there was a person there who i'll call m never i had never met m before in my life i didn't know who he was i was told throughout the shabbaton he called me the black one he didn't call me by my name he didn't even introduce himself to me but in every conversation where I was not there or present, he would refer to me as the black one. That didn't hurt because I, I was used to it. That actually didn't hurt. But hurt me the most was everyone else in the group that he called me the black one. No one said anything to him. No one corrected him and said his name is not black one. His name is Tyler. Recognize him as a human being. Recognize him as a Jew. No one said anything. And that, I think, hurt me a lot. And that put me off of Judaism for many years. Like, I did not want to have anything to do with the Jewish community after that one experience, especially in the Toronto Jewish community. I I cast myself away. Um, Like, I I joked at the time that I, I held a mock Kiddush ceremony. I, I ripped my part of my shirt to mourn. I cut myself off completely because I, I recognized in my head that if he could call me the black one, what else does the Jewish community recognize me as? What else are they calling me when I go to them and we talk and then I leave? What are they calling me behind my back? It was very hurtful. You're a Jew and, you know, Jewish organizations call you, call you out to help and 
we are a black Jew. We need you. We need you to help say this or talk about on this panel or talk about Israel because you're a black Jew and you've probably had wonderful experiences, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that no one at that moment said anything, that was what really stung more than his racism. And I, I it, it, it still bothers me, actually. I think this, I should, I, this one I didn't forgive because it, it's so painful. This one I have not forgiven yet. And I don't think I could because it was so, in that, it was so traumatic hearing this told to me after the Shabbaton. I asked the person, so you didn't say anything? And they, they, they looked they look shocked and can see getting flustered and everything. And that it really, it really bothered me and it really hurt me. I don't question people's Jewishness, even if they say horrible things about their own people. I'm not one of those Jews who will question someone's Jewishness. I won't dig up people's Jewish heritage to find out if they are a Jew of choice or they were born to Jewish parents or whatever. No. They're a Jew. They have disagreeable views. I disagree, but they are Jews and I respect that. And I don't attack their Judaism. I attack their ideas. Um, and the fact that no one could do that, no one could call him out is, well, yeah, in this case, call him out rather than call him in. Yeah, I think that was like one of the worst experiences I've ever had as living as a black Jew on this planet. So was it more so that you couldn't forgive the that friend who didn't stand up for you or the people in the audience or the guy who actually said the word? All of the above. Are you ready to have a breakthrough? <laughs> yeah, sure. I could tell. <laughs> so if you were in my class, because you know I do these meditation and create creativity classes, I would ask you to relax and close your eyes and take everyone listening now could do the same thing and just go back to that moment where you saw everybody and felt everybody in the room just sitting idly by while this really non-connected statement was said about you. And if you could close your eyes and really go back there and take a deep breath in and see everyone as a soul, like don't even see their outside, just see their, the light. The, I see it as like a green and yellow light that's coming out. Could you try to have, you know, God's eyes for a moment if God had eyes and see them as really confused human encasements with a brain that says, oh, I don't want to confront. I don't want to make a conflict or make a scene. I also don't want to make my friend feel bad or worse. So I'm just going to sit here and be in this moment and try to respect this person who's speaking and move on from this moment. So if you could do that and take a deep breath into yourself and then see yourself as the biggest light in the room, because all this energy is being attracted to you and notice what the energy looks like. Is it negative? Is it cruel? Or is it really just energy that's confused and doesn't know how to get to your heart? Because that's all that energy is trying to do, right? It's very different than what we spoke about before, like flat out concentration camp, God forbid, Lolina, we should never know of that. This is just really confused people that are taking this beautiful energy and they don't know what to do with it. And now, now that you're like this big chief of light, you're the master of light in this room because everyone, all eyes are on you, all ears are listening. What is he going to say? What's he going to do? And you get up and you walk away from the Jewish community for however long you do. If you could go back to that moment, what is it that God is asking of you? You have a son in the future. Please, God, you'll have many sons, many daughters. What would you ask of them in that moment to do? If you could go right back and stand up in your truth, in your blunt, loving truth, what would you say differently in that moment if you were full-on courageous? How would you approach it? Let's, let's act that out now. Yeah. As Jews, we're not a part of this world where we push hatred. We're not a part of this world where we push racism. 
you push Tikkun Olam. Tikkun Olam, otherwise known as healing the world. For this common to be made, it does not show any Jewish care. It's separating. separating yeah. Yes, and, and I will not. <laughs> and I will not engage with it. And if those people who don't want to engage with it want to come with me, we can go somewhere else. But this is not an environment. We, we flourish or, or build our Jewish character. And I would add, as your friend in this moment, hearing everything you just said, so I have the ears to hear the things that you said and being able to reflect back to you, I would also add, as someone who's standing up for you, if I were you in that moment, I would also say, you are co-creating in this moment, sir, rabbi, speaker of the, whoever was speaking, a very divisive statement. And none of you, and I know you didn't mean it, are standing up with me. It makes me feel separate from you. And I am not. I am of of you. I am the same. My great-grandparents are your great-grandparents. And I want to be accepted and loved. And that hurts me when you say that. And I and I really feel hurt that no one else spoke against mm-hmm. what you just said. And I don't want to embarrass you, but you are hurting me every time you say that. Say maybe a bracha, a blessing that you do whatever you can to find that guy named M and anyone else that you can call by name that you remember from that group and explain, share with them how that pushed you away from the community for X amount of time. And every day you were away was because of how hurt you were about what they said. To me, I am so sorry, my friend, you told the wrong person. You have an obligation to tell that story and help help them to penetrate their heart and feel what it means, the ramifications of using that phrase. It is not okay. We have an obligation to call things out. We can do it in a loving way, the way you do so nicely, but I'm sharing that with you because I'm an advocate for you, <laughs> sharing your truth. And maybe then you'll feel moved to forgive, but forgiveness is complicated. It's not just, oh, I forgive them and walking away. Yeah, forgive you them you'll feel better but that doesn't work not all the time some people can do it and some people can't they need more simple sorry doesn't work it has to be concentrated actually understand like you said to understand why this hurt this person that i said this to and really take in and try to put myself in their shoes in that moment um and do your best to communicate what it felt like to be you in that moment. Yeah. You know, I I don't preach forgiveness on this podcast because I'm new at it. I come from an abusive household where the abuse is still in my body and I still have to deal with it. A little physical abuse was mostly forced intimacy and emotional abuse since I was a baby. What happens when you come from any sort of abuse or trauma? You have moments of memory that come up and you have to forgive it all the time because it's it's just constant. And we, no one is exempt from trauma. Every single human being goes through trauma, whether it's just through the birth canal. Some people got a little bit more, depends on where you grow up and family and all that. But, you know, sometimes people don't have a severe traumatic experience until they grow older and God forbid anyone should have trauma, but it just so happens. I've talked to a lot of human beings. There's a lot of people with trauma walking around. So even if you were alive in the last two years, you probably experienced some sort of trauma with all the COVID restrictions and pandemic and whatever and sickness. So if that's the case, then it's not that forgiveness means, oh, I forgive them. I mean, I say the bedtime trauma every night. It's the best bedtime medicine I've ever had. I just go right to sleep. And it, I will argue with you that it does make you feel better to forgive. However, there's another side to forgiveness, and that is the learning and if you just say, oh, no, no, I forget that everything's fine. <laughs> okay. What happens is you take it with you. But if the person's still alive, even if they're not alive, you can write them a letter. You can pray to God. You can hand deliver it through the, the skies where, you know, I do that at night. I put my hand up and I say, God, take this up there. I need to tell my grandma something or my, my grandfather, whatever. There are ways to communicate what happened to release it from your heart. And if, you know, the Talmud says, if you don't forgive someone after they've tried to apologize three different times, it's like you took it on. It also says 
you have to approach that person three times and let them know. And if they don't apologize or think about what they did, then it's like they did it double, you know? It's it's very beautiful how the rabbis laid it out and they call it sage advice for a reason. And so I'm just inviting you to have a breakthrough and really see what that would feel like to go back in that moment and also see if you can reach out to them because God forbid it happens to another person. Mm. And Mm. every day that you allow it to go by without sharing it, it's possibility. There's a possibility they'll they'll repeat it because that's probably they probably have. I mean, this is your book, Tyler. Anyway, is there anything that you would like to promote? How do we get in touch with you? What can what would you like people to know? <laughs> um, I always people tell me I'm so humble because I hate promoting myself. I hate promoting all doing all that. Um, but I I have my Instagram and my Twitter, and if if people enjoy reading Jewish history or reading whatever commentary I have, especially on Twitter, um, you can just follow me on Black Blunt Jew. I mostly, most of the times I will respond to people, but I have an open messaging system. I like talking to people. I like talking and listening. What is one thing you wish the world knew? The ability not to take on people's judgments of who you are. A lot of people, especially in our community, like to judge each other's religiosity. They love to judge how Jewish we are and everything. But for me, my personal freedom has been not caring, doing Jewish or Jewishly as I see as I can do it. And that has been the most liberating experience I've ever had. I don't care about people's judgments, preconceived notions. I do the Judaism I can do it. I can't speak for God, but I hope they they find it acceptable if what I do is very liberating, not caring whatever people think. Beautiful. I also love that you said before, if I could codify it, instead of focusing so much on the people who hate or are frustrated with you and what they say, just keep doing you, keep celebrating the beauty of who you are. I mean, what a joy and an honor to get to hang out with you and have this conversation. It means a lot to me and I know you'll inspire a lot of people and I cannot wait to read your book. So <laughs> maybe you'll have to if it's hard. a coaching with me or be in my next online class to, to let it out because the world needs your voice. It is beautiful. Well, thank you very much. I, I enjoyed it. This, there's been many podcasts that I have done, but I think this one has been very eye-opening. It's, it's been helpful. So I appreciate that. Uh, helpful to you? I think it's been helpful for the world. Again. <laughs> well, you learn something new every single day. And I learned today that Christopher Columbus allowed Jews into Jamaica without an inquisition. And the British protected Jews slash Portuguese, because sometimes they were called Portuguese, and Spanish in Jamaica so that they were able to live. Rabbi Leader, a congregational rabbi in Los Angeles, once said, wherever there are Jews, you'll find democracy protecting all people. And I love that quote because I think it comes up a lot in this episode and also other episodes that Judeo-Christian Islamic values at their core uh, really are there to create law slash freedoms for people. Now, whether human beings mess those up or take them very far to the right or very, very far to the left and make extremes out of them, that's another story. But they they were created originally to uh, protect people. Tyler defines blunt as it can be an unspoken truth to hear it as it is. It doesn't have to be mean or harsh, telling people proudly an inconvenient truth. And I love that definition. I think it's a beautiful one. And I love how we always come up with new definitions for common words here on this podcast. A lot of people see you as just your identity and not from the content of your character, as MLK said, Tyler quotes. And one of his platforms is really trying to work against that. And instead of having a type or a stereotype, I am a black American. I am a black Canadian. I am an African American. Uh, I am a Jewish Jamaican person. Uh, I am this, I am that, whatever your titles are, whatever people have given you, 
working beyond that, seeing us as multidimensional human beings or human becomings. Tyler says, we don't need to preach to the choir about anti-Semitism and how horrible it is. Tyler believes that anti-Semitism is a non-Jewish issue and that we should be celebrating our Jewish identity and it does a disservice by constantly responding to non-Jews who hate us and standing up to them. Now, I personally think that this can also be a Jewish issue because I know a lot of self-hating, as it were, Jews or Jews who are not necessarily self-hating but may say things that can come across anti-Semitic and sometimes we have to be informed both inside of our community and outside. Tyler believes there should be a movement, a conversation about helping Jewish people, especially college students, with their mental health, and I totally agree. The biggest thing I learned from today's episode is things are not always as they seem, and it is so important for all of us to really weigh the things that we say and think about how they may come across and have the courage and the capacity to go back to someone who we think we may have hurt or harmed in some way with our words and have a conversation about it and allow yourself, whether you're the receiver of the harsh words, the feeler of the difficult feeling, or the giver of the word that actually hurt someone else and have a conversation about it, especially now, right before Yom Kippur, when there's time in the calendar set aside to apologize for it. Please, if there's someone that you harmed in any way, shape, or form, physically, emotionally, spiritually, please go to them, apologize, and ask if there's a way that you can make it right and have a conversation. There's no harm. There's no shame in going to someone and saying, I wonder if I hurt you when I said that. And if I didn't, could we talk about it anyway? Because I'm having a hard time trying to figure out what's the best way to navigate this type of conversation. I guarantee you that when you see everyone as one connected, beautiful soul, we have a much better chance of actually making peace in this world. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for listening to this whole episode and please share it with somebody who might need to hear it. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.